Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoyed this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to wrap up chapter 6 of Esther. And we're going to have a little fun doing it. Uh, Many of you have probably wished you could always interrupt the pastor when he's preaching, right? Here's your chance to do that. Uh, The last few weeks, I told you to bring your noisemakers, and we handed out some of the extra ones. And these actually are here to celebrate. I actually ordered them from a Jewish website that celebrates, uh, because the Jews celebrate Purim every year. It's a big holiday. Think of, uh, oh, think of uh, Thanksgiving for us. Think of of Easter for us. Purim is a huge holiday for the Jewish community, and it's it's part of our heritage as Christians. It's us being grafted in uh, to God's family. Um, but uh, this will only work if we all do it. So Lisa's going to put up, uh, my wife's going to put up the first slide, and I want to kind of show you how it's going to go. Every time when I'm reading, you see an underlined yellow word. When it's Esther and Mordecai, you're going to give a, no, not the noisemakers, you're going to give a quick little cheer, but not too loud because you don't want to drown out their names. This is what the Jews do. The Jews, when they celebrate Purim, they read the whole book twice. And as they're reading it, every time Esther and Mordecai's name is mentioned, they give a quick, yay! Okay, so, so let's, it's got to be quick. It can't be going on. So let's try it all. Okay, however you want to say yay or yahoo or yeehaw if you're from Texas, you know, however you want to do it. Okay, you ready? I'll, I'll read verse 2 there. It was found recorded there that Mordecai... Okay, now you've got to do it right on the name, Okay. Let's try that again. It was found recorded there that Mordecai... There you go. There you go. Excellent. Now, when you see the name Haman, and I don't have... It's not on this slide. What you're going to do is you're going to try to drown out the name. So this is where you want to make more noise, okay? So this is where you do your noisemaker, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch Mordecai's name. I'm going to put Haman in there just for a test, okay? So it was found recorded there that Haman... Oh, boy. This is going to be fun, isn't it? Now, can you believe it? They get to do this every year. Every year, you know, end of February, the beginning of March, right in there, Purim comes around. So that's what we're going to do. <coughs> and then after the service, I, I know many of you have been wanting to eat other people's ears. How many of you have always wanted to eat somebody's ear? Okay, good. we got a couple of takers. Excellent. Well, we have what we're going to what's called hamatosins, and they're really Haman tossins. Tossin is ear, Haman's ears. We've got little cookies that represent Haman's ears because he got put up on the spigot, okay? Um, you'll understand as we get into the story, but we, they celebrate this. They make little cookies that have a nice little filling in them, and, and so we'll hand those out at the end of the service. So let's, you know, let, let's kind of review, get into the spirit of it, and then we'll go for it, Okay. The book of Esther is such an amazing book because we can pull out so many different things, so many different things that can relate to our everyday lives. Uh, uh, you know, this is a, a, a great event that happened over, you know, 2,500 years ago. I think it was 2,549 years ago, and we still deal with it today. It's a true story about how, the, you know, that correlates the history of the Persians and, it, you know, having no idea that there would be a time when people would question whether the Bible is true or, true or not. Um, because Esther is a great archaeological book. You know, some people read the, the Bible, they go, well, this stuff isn't true. But then you study a book like Esther, and there's all these archaeological finds. And, and Persepolis or, or Susa or different cities, they even found one as signet rings. You know, the signet ring that, that, that any time a law would happen, any time the king would say, go forth and do this. And he would do a signet ring into either clay or, or wax. They've actually found one of his signet rings, and in, in I, I think it was Persepolis. Um, so, so, I mean, it's a great archaeological book along that. You know, maybe one, one day the, the uh, our country and Iran, I doubt it, but maybe one day we'll be in such a, such a, a friendship that we could actually go and visit these places, because uh, it's really cool. It's very extensive, 
uh, the digs and everything, everything, everything there. Uh, they have in museums stuff that, uh, uh, from this period, they're owned by King Xerxes, which is really cool. Uh, so today we will see a day in the life of God's will. A day in the life of God's will is all going to be played out. It's, 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 it's really cool. In the first, you know, uh, first, uh, five, you know, in chapter 5, things were a mess, you know, a lot like our lives a lot of times. The first five chapters of a life, we, you know, of our lives, we kind of make it a mess. And then the Lord kind of turns it around. Well, Esther was adopted by her cousin after loss of her parents. And he did a great job of raising her. They get separated when she gets abducted and, you know, part of this whole beauty pageant that we talked about where they said, hey, you're good looking, come here. And they, they literally abduct him and put him into this beauty pageant for the king. Next thing you know, Esther is literally queen of the world. Now, wait a second. Not every time I say it, because then we'll be here all day. When we read it, okay? I won't point out who did it, okay? I, I won't do that at all. Red, red blazer, this way. Oh, this is great. So... They abduct Esther, and she's queen of the world. And Xerxes literally is king over 127 nations. He is the most powerful man in the world, but he was not able to conquer the Greeks. And the Greeks later on would rise to power under, under who? Anyone? Anyone? Alexander the Great. And come in to defeat Xerxes and so forth. But his favorite wife now is Esther. And he didn't even know she was Jewish. At first, this would have not, uh, you know, it wouldn't have mattered because of the diversity. It's in Persia. They didn't mind. I mean, they had all these different cultures, all these different people. Big deal. Xerxes and Esther, you know, uh, may have been husband and wife, but they really weren't buddy-buddy. They weren't the type to, you know, sit on the couch together and turn on the TV. It just wasn't that kind of relationship. They're not best friends. He's king, and he rules with a heavy hand. He literally just, you know, that's the way it is. What he says is law. She has to approach the king just like everybody else does, down on her hands and knees, and showing her hands to prove that there was not a weapon in her hand. Now her father is outside, outside the palace, and he's refusing to bow before anyone, especially an Amalekite descendant like Haman, who is second in command. We talked about the Amalekites, how they attacked the, the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. Haman was promoted and, and is very conniving. And, you know, you get somebody who's really smart and conniving and, and evil. It's not a good, good uh, connection. It's not a good uh, compilation. It's not, it's not a good set of attributes that you want to talk about yourself, you know? But Haman, he's not satisfied at being number two in the kingdom. He's not satisfied with all the power because there's this one guy, this one little, you know, little Jew who's acting like he doesn't even exist and he can't just stand at you. He, he refuses to honor me. If he, he refuses to respect me. So Mordecai comes out as a Jew and says, I will not bow down in front of you. Haman then convinces the king, who is most of the time alcohol impaired, to take out the Jews before they cause more trouble, according to Haman. So now Mordecai is mourning the fact and, uh, you know, that the people are in danger and he gets word to the king and says to her, who knows, maybe the Lord put you in this place for such a time as this. All these great things that are happening to you according to the world, other than you're separated with me, the world says all these great things are happening to you. Maybe the Lord has allowed it because he wants something from you. And this, this really relates to our lives because... You know, when do we ask God about how, how life is going? When things are terrible, aren't don't we? God, why am I going through this? Why am I having to do this? Why is this happening, Lord? Now, when things are going great, do we go to God and go, why is this happening, God? Well, the question is, why not? Why aren't we going to God and saying, why are you blessing me? Is there anything that you require of me? Is there anything that you would like me to, to give back to you in this great situation? But normally, when things are going good, we ignore God. So in the, our maturity, we need to start asking God why all the time. Why did I run into this person today? Why did this person pop into my head that I, when I thought about them? Why, Lord? Now, his first purpose for blessing us is what? It's because God loves us. That's his first purpose of blessing us. And this is always the first. The Lord blesses us because he loves us. 
For some reason, we, we've, uh, you know, we've been raised that, that love has strings, uh, strings attached, right? I mean, if you don't bring chocolates to your wife on the 14th of February, right? I, I, gotta, I still got to go get mine. You see what I'm saying? We have, love has strings attached. We've grown up like that. It's hard for us to accept that God blesses us just because he loves us with no strings attached. It's nothing for God to bless us. Why? Because he owns everything. Uh, You know, cattle on a thousand hills. So we need to turn things around and say, I've been blessed this year. So Lord, what would you want me to do with that blessing? So now here Mordecai says to Esther, there's a good possibility that God has blessed you for such a time as this. Esther goes to the Lord and, and she calls a fast. Mordecai tells all the Jews in the city to fast for three days for Esther. So number one, she's coming out as a Jew. You know, this is like when we finally say at our work, this is like when we finally say to to our extended family that we see, you know, uh, a couple of times a year. This is like when, when we finally say at school, you know what, I'm a Christian, therefore, what you're doing, I, you want me to follow you down that path? I, I, I just don't do that. Because I'm a Christian. This is Esther coming out and saying, I am not going to do these things. I can't stand for this because I am a Christian. She is on a God-given mission, but she doesn't know what to do. The Pony Express has already left the building. The Pony Express has already delivered to 127 nations. Hey, they're going to kill all the Jews with permission from the king. With royal orders sealed by Haman to kill all of them. And when February rolls around, now remember, this is about 12 months ahead, okay? So this is like March of the previous year that this is happening. But when February the next year rolls around, they're going to kill us all. But instead of running around trying to fix it, she does nothing but fast and pray. And the Lord is like this. You know, oftentimes, he asks us to do nothing yet. He asks us to come to him first. But what do we like to do? We like to run around and fix things, don't we? Our initial thing is, oh, there's a problem. Let me fix that, especially for guys. Ladies, you think about it for a little while longer, and then you turn around and run around and try to fix it. But for guys, we instantly do that. This is when we have to decide who is the Lord of my life. Is it the circumstances that I'm in? Is it the other people that are involved Or is it the Spirit of God saying, sit still, be still, for I am God? Because God is going to move now. See, one of the main reasons he asks us to sit still is because we like to get in the way, and we are getting in the way. Or we're getting ahead of him, and once we get ahead of God, what happens? We start to veer off the path. We think, okay, we're going down this path, God. Okay, okay, now let me go this way. And God's like, no, 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 I didn't want to go that way. What are you doing out in front of me? Come back here. See, the Lord is going to get ahead of Esther and Mordecai here. And they just kind of hang on to his coattails. And he runs through the situation as a mighty God that he is. Esther 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 is the day and the life of the will of God. So let's look at it. Do you have your, they're, they're called Gregors, I think is, is how you pronounce it in, in Yiddish. They, you know, the noisemakers are called Gregors. So you got them ready, right? Haman has been, you know, he's been honored, but he can't stand that Mordecai is not, not bowing down. He goes home and is totally bugged about it, so he tells his family, I'm having lunch with the queen and the king it's just me and him and 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 but but i have to come home and i see this guy mordecai he's probably getting he won't bow down he's just so mad so they tell him just just hang him and get it over with just I, i'm tired of listening to you just do something about it so this kind of cheers him up he has his gallows built 75 foot up in the air all because mordecai refuses to bow down And last week we talked about how we have to be careful not to build gallows for people to hang on because the scripture is clear. Don't seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says who? Says the Lord. That's right. So let the Lord. We have to find a way to let go of things. Or we might find ourselves what? On the gallows. 
Okay, so Haman can't wait for sunup. All right, chapter 6, you ready? That night, the king could not sleep. Holy Spirit insomnia here. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Fan and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. You remember the story. Mordecai, you know, overhears these guys and he tells Esther. Esther tells the king and, and the king is saved, so he's happy. So the king is up and he, he's reading all about himself because it's all about the king, you know. And he was like, who, wh- what was that? Who, who saved me? In verse 3 it says, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asks. Nothing has been done. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, uh, thank you Gary. Uh, don't do the noisemakers on Mordecai and Esther. Only on Haman. You, wanna, you don't want to drown out their name, okay? Because they're good guys. I know, good guys. Here we go. So, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. You know, all the attendants, they're like, oh, the king is up in the middle of the night. They have to get all dressed. They have to be prim and proper and perfect and have all their regalia on and all this kind of stuff. It's the middle of the night and their cell phones go off. And they're like, you got to report, the king is here. Honey, I have to go, you know, the king wants us. So they're basically having a meeting, and, and the king hears a noise. And, and in verse 4 it says, the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to, spread, to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. So basically what we have here is Haman and, and Xerxes have been up all night. You know, uh, great Haman is here. And, you know, he's, he's just always working. I'm glad Haman showed up here. You know, you can picture Haman. He comes in whistling. Oh, only during the scriptures, guys. I know. I'm, I'm keeping record of who's not following the instructions. But you can picture Haman. He's come whistling in the morning. He's just, he's just happy as a lark. He's just happy as can be. I'm going to hang Haman. Oh, it's going to be a great day. And they're like, the king wants to see you. I'm glad you're here. Good. So verse 5, it says, his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in. The king ordered. When Haman, the king answered him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman... <laughs> thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So the king answered him, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn. This would be an incredible honor. This would be like, you know, the ultimate Giants fan getting the jersey that Eli, you know, wore last week in the Super Bowl. I mean, I think whatever sports or whatever thing you, you kind of revere, not worship. <laughs> it comes close, doesn't it, sometimes? But this would be the ultimate honor. Put, you know, a robe from the king here. And the horse that the king has ridden one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princesses. You could almost see him going, let them robe the king, you know, the man the king delights to honor. Lead him on the horse through the, city, through the streets, proclaiming before him, this is what's done for the man the king delights to honor. You could just see him just getting into this. Haman has, you know, got a whole party, a whole me party planned here. Now, if you've ever planned your own surprise party, it's fun, isn't it? This is what he's doing here. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. <laughs> get the robe and the horse. Any horse king? No, no, no. Go get my favorite horse. And do just as you have suggested for Mordecai... The Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him. You, you, you got to know he had a frown on his face, don't you? This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. You know he's got to be sad about it. And he's trying to do what the king said because it's law now. You know. Well, what you have here is the two most surprised men in the kingdom, right? They're hanging out all day together just having fun. 
Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. You know, Mordecai is like, okay, this is really special. Thank you, Haman. I appreciate it, Haman. But, you know, I'm sorry. I I would like to be up there, but, you know, I, I just, you know, he's like, I can imagine them going down the streets and he's like, um, Haman, I, I can't hear you. Can, can you holler a little louder? You know, he's having fun with it. But, you know, don't miss the street. But Mordecai's not like that. He's like, he goes back. But it says here, but Haman, be a little quicker on the uptake, people, re- rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Suresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Seraph said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to, to ruin. Basically, they're saying, we have heard about his God, and once their God's involved, you can't win. You just can't. You know, some people who advised uh, him to hang Mordecai, I mean, these are evil advisors. You know, they give you the feel-good type of, you know, advice, the, you know, what you want to hear. Then, then you build the gallows, and all of a sudden uh, the tables are turned on you. You go back to that same person and say, you, you know, these advisors go back to, to Haman. What do they basically say? I wouldn't have done that if I were you. You see what I'm saying? They give you good advice. They, they just tell you what you want to hear. They're not really giving you advice. That's what these guys are doing. You know, be, be very careful who you allow to advise you in life. Because you're going to make mistakes in this area and you need to learn from them. Proverbs has a lot to say about who advises you. Go and read Proverbs, you know. But they're like, you know, Haman, we're we're really going to miss you. Can we keep the palace? Because we know you're going to be dead here. But can we keep it? Verse 14, it says, While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. What is your petition? It will give, be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. You can imagine the look on the king's face here for a second. Well, puts his wine down, which is a miracle in the first place, and says, what was that, honey? Haman, what did she just say? What is this about? He's like, I I don't know. You know, Haman's like, I don't know. Let's just talk about something else. Change the subject. He's like, no, 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 no. I want to hear this. Stop, Stop the music over there. What? I said, grant me my life. Your life your life, you, you, you're my queen. What do you mean your life? You have, you, you, I said up to half the kingdom. What do you mean? Verse 4 says, For I, I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. Now, do you think her voice was loud or soft? Because if it was me, I mean, Haman's right there. I'd been screaming. But I think Esther got really soft. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. Hmm. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Now she's kind of buttering up a little bit, you know? King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Who is the man who, who, uh, who, is the man who has dared to do such a thing? You could imagine Haman just trying to disappear in that chair, you know, getting smaller and smaller. Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is the vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and he never does that. He left his wine. That's important to put that in there. And went out into the palace garden. But Haman... Realizing the king had already decided, decided his fate, decided to uh, stay behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman 
was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king explained, Will you even molest the queen while she is with me in my house? I, 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 I wasn't molesting. I, I wasn't. Listen, listen to me, king. Please, my king. I mean, this is a very bad day for Haman. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. They covered his face. Now, the, the Persian king would never look into the eyes of a condemned person. So they literally would cover your, your head, you know, put the cloth over and, you know, and take you away. I mean, that's basically saying, you're toast, brother. You're gone. That's it. Verse 9, it says, Then Harbona, one of the king, eunuchs attending the king, said, I've got a great idea. A gallows, 75 foot high, stands by Haman's house. He made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king, uh, the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king. For Esther had told how he had related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estates. I bet you when you showed up, you never thought this was going to happen today, huh? Now, I, I, I kind of have to... <laughs> I like that. I have to stop here for a second. Because there's been a few of you that have been following through and, and kind of been studying along with this. And, and you've kind of related this to Jesus in the end times, okay? Because there, you know... I, I haven't gone there because we'd spend all year in Esther if, if we did. So I'm just going to kind of go there just a little bit. But this is a, really a prophetic picture of the end times in Jesus. It's very poetic. And you, you have the, the advocate who, for us, it was Jesus. You have the advocate saying, you know, he's related to me. That is Jesus before the Father bringing us into the palace. Well, what's the palace for us? The palace is heaven. And what's the ring represent? The ring represents the authority that's been taken from the evil one, Haman, Satan. Are you connected? Are you following me at all? Maybe not. But see, the authority has been taken from Satan in the end times. In the book of Revelation, read it, you'll find out. The prince of the power of the air is bound and, the, uh, and his authority is completely taken away. And he's being crucified on the cross that he erected for somebody else. Okay, uh, what does that mean? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't die. Well, Satan, man, he, he gets... Uh, what, what is real death? Separation from God. Who is ultimately, ultimately separated from God? Satan, all his minions, all the fallen angels... And anybody who doesn't believe in God. That's why it's so important what, what, what Gary was saying today. For us to make the decision to believe in Jesus that he died for our sins. And then not go, ooh, I'm safe. Then turn around and say, who else? Who are my friends? Who, who, what stranger? Who do I want to go with me? Well, our answer should be everyone. But then the Lord puts us in certain places at certain times for such a time as this to bring somebody into the kingdom. Okay? Now, if you want to go further with this, go study the, the story of the prodigal son and look at the heart of the father who is standing in the middle of the road and waiting for the son to come home. And the son finally comes home, and what happens? The father gives him the ring that signifies authority, gives him the robe, and then they have a feast, a huge feast. I once was lost. I once was outside. I once was fated and doomed by an evil one who tried to steal my fate, but now I'm redeemed, I am rescued, I am saved. My chains are gone. This is us as believers. So if you want to go there, study some of the New Testament, study some of that stuff, but we're going to go on to verse 3 here. Esther, I know I took too much time, didn't I? Esther, again pleaded with, uh, pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, <coughs> the Agagite, 
which he devised against the Jews. Well, what plan? You, you would think that Haman's dead, right? Haman's dead, the plan goes away. No. Remember, the law was passed. It's law. You can't change the law in a Persian empire. That's just how it is. Haman is dead, but the evil that he was planning, it's like the snowball that's going, you know, you always see the snowball in commercials or, or Charlie Brown or whatever, you know. They would, you know, go down the hill and they would just build up and build up and at the end it would just take everyone out. Well, that's Haman's plan. It's snowballed here. Verse 4 says, Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks that it is the right thing to do, and if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? You know, it's not, not enough that just Mordecai and Haman, I mean, Mordecai and Esther are, are, are saved. And Esther's like, those are my people, the people of God. And this is a lesson for us. Yes, God has placed us in charge of our immediate family, right? And if you're a man of God, you should be in charge of your family. Now, don't get me wrong, there's some discussion on how you do that, but I'm talking about with the loving grace that God has given us, we should be in charge of our families. But there's also a larger family involved here that we should be concerned about. Others that, that uh, we should be involved with. That's our church family. That's Christians in, in our community. Christians in the kingdom of God as a whole. We need to, to mature past. It's all about me and my family. Because when it's all about me and my family, what do I do? I huddle over here and I, I protect. I'm like, no, no, stay away. Nope, nope, nope. And, and all your concerns right there. But we need to look out beyond that also. Or we only end up thinking about our, only, you know, our own little family unit while others are out there suffering. Even the disciples said, take care of our neighbors. Well, Jesus, who are our neighbors? He says, the ones who are needy, the ones who are hurting. But Jesus, there won't be enough to go around. Exactly. Your enough is not enough. But my enough is. See what I'm saying? Jesus has enough to help us all. But if we only rely on ourselves, it's not enough. It's the Lord's enough that ought to flow through us that will be enough. Esther says, how can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and Mordecai, the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews. I've given his estate to Esther. And have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews. It seems best to you and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with this ring can be revoked. At once the royal secretaries were summoned. And the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. And this is actually June. So earlier I told you it was, was March. I lied. It's June, okay? They all wrote out. Uh, they, they wrote out all the Mordecai's. Orders to the Jews and to the satraps, the governors, and the nobles of all the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. In other words, in, in the Hebrew language, it went out to all the provinces also. Mordecai wrote the name of King Xerxes. This is like the authority that we have when we pray, Right? In the name of who we pray with? Name of Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus. Either one of those. This is like the authority this is, that Mordecai has here. It says the king's edict. Did I? No, here we go. Sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. And this is a total, total guy thing. Why do you think that? This is why they think a guy wrote uh, the book of Esther. Because why a, a woman wouldn't put in, they rode really fast horses. You know, the guys are like, they rode fast horses, dude, put that in there. We've got to have that. Okay, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of fun. Verse 11, it says, the king's edicts granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble. You know, this is not a big deal for us. We assemble right now, right? Okay, you ought to all shake your head yes, because that's what we're doing, Okay. 
But many nations don't have this right. We have it in our Bill of Rights and our, you know, connected with our Constitution and everything. You know, we exercise that, you know, on a weekly basis. But many Christians around the world do not meet together because they can't. In Egypt right now, they are burning Christian churches that people have met in since the first century, since Christianity was received in Egypt. They're burning those churches down right now. For some countries, at this point in history, this is the first time in years that they they have this right to do this. I can imagine the old men weeping that they have this right. And it says here that that they can protect themselves. This is like us. We, We have the right. Back then, you couldn't have personal weapons. Not legal. Not legally. But it says here, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them. Man, they're going to be ready, aren't they? And they're women and children. Xerxes even allows them to kill women and children. Now, they don't take this right. Why? They're not like this. That's not who they are. As as men of God, as women of God, as as the people of God, they're not going to go out there and do that. But they were given it. And to plunder the property of their enemies. They didn't do this one either. They didn't take all the property. Just because a government says that it's a right doesn't make it okay. Think about that. Apply that to your own life. Just because the government says this is a right that we have doesn't mean as Christians we should take that right. See, the Jews now can defend themselves for a 24-hour period because think about all the people that, that have beef with, with the Jews over the years. All, you know, anyone you've ever had a problem with, they've been arming themselves for like nine months. They're getting ready to, you know, they want to kill you. But all of a sudden, another royal edict shows up. I can imagine the Jews when the horses come riding into town, because you know the, who these horses are, and they're thinking, great, another law, I'm sure it's going to go against us. But this one says, hey, we can defend ourselves. Verse 12, it says, the day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, which is February. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses raced out, spurred by the king's command, and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. Mordecai left a... <laughs> you surprised me on that one. I got you all quiet. Yeah, okay. Mordecai left the king's uh, presence wearing royal garments of blue and white, the large crown of gold and purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. Now, did you catch that? The whole city of Susa, they all rejoiced. They really liked the Jews. Only a small group disliked them within the, within the, the city here. Verse 16, it says, for the, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebration. And many people of other nationalities because Jew, uh, became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. This would be an interesting church campaign, wouldn't it? You know, church growth campaign. Let's go out there and, and produce fear on everybody. Maybe they'll join our church. You want to start starting next Sunday? We'll have a meeting? Okay, maybe not. I mean, this is kind of fun. No one said you should become Jewish. They just did it. Haman wasn't. He's dead. Esther is one. Mordecai, who, who took Haman's spot, is one. So everyone's like, I'm Jewish too. I want to be in on that. But for the men, there's a price to pay. We're not going to go there, but we'll just leave that alone. Chapter 9. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled... In their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. 
And most of them had become Jews in the meantime. And all the nobles of, of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all the enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. They went up against all those who were going to kill them. You could imagine the family of the guy. They've read the edict. They've also, you know, they also think that, man, they just killed my husband. I'm next. My kids are next. The Jews show up. They kill their enemy. <coughs> they kill their enemy. And they turn to the wife and say, Lord, bless you and keep you. We're not going to kill you. They leave without plundering their possessions. They're like, you're not my enemy. Only the ones that want to kill me are my enemies. So you have a civil war happening in 127 nations here that the government has blessed. It's kind of weird, but it's saving the Jews. So verse 6, it says, In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed all the ten sons of Haman. I'm not going to read them all. All the ten sons of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Remember, there was an Al- a Malachite issue, uh, a Malachite Jew issue here. So they're sitting there going, okay, we don't want this to go down another 500 years. So they kill all the ten sons here. Verse 11 says, the number of those slain in the citadel of Susa were reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther... The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done to the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will be granted. If it pleases the king, Esther answered. Oh, come on, guys. So let's, we're getting toward the end here. Stay with me. Give the Jews of Susa permission to carry out this day's edicts tomorrow also and let Haman's... Ten sons be hanged on the gallows. They're like, we want to put them up there on those spigots too. I want everybody to see what happens. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar. And they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on their plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay a hand on their plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and the 14th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. And this is where Purim comes in. So stick with me here because Purim's kind of explained. That's why I'm kind of reading through these details here. Verse 18, it says, The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made a day of feasting and joy. This is why the, royal, uh, the, the Jews that lived out in the country, I can't say that word. It's, well, talk to my wife about that. I can never say that word. R-U-R-A-L. It just doesn't work for me. Those living in the villages observed the 14th day of the month of Adar on the day of joy and feasting, a day giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded... Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. It's a time when the Jews got relief from their enemy and as a month when their sorrow was turned into joy and the mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And this continues, and I'm going to skip a few verses here. But this is all about Purim. Purim means, means uh, lot, you know, throwing the lots where they pick the days. And, and, and uh, or the pur means lot, and the um, the im, means multiple. So multiple lots here. And it means the world cast their lots against us, but God came through. That's how they translate this. The world casts their lots against us, but God came through. And that's why those, the, the ones that I handed out, the, the little Gregors, they're called, it says Happy Purim on it. These are actually Jewish uh, toys that they, they give out. They're not completely childproof because my son got a hold of one, and with his teeth, he like pried it open. 
So, you know, depending on if your little one has teeth or not, you know. So they use this celebration to celebrate every time the world has come up against them to show God's faithfulness that he saved them. So this month, when they celebrate, all the kiddos will put on costumes and, you know, all the girls dress up like Queen Esther, right? And all the, all the boys, well, boys being boys, what do they do? Half of them are like, I want to be Haman. And the other half are like, I want to be Mordecai. And the other half are, well, okay, that makes three halves. Okay, anyway, they're like, you know, I want to be, the, you know, dress up as a king because that's just how boys are. The queen, you know, everybody wants, uh, all the girls want to be queens. Now, Unfortunately, this has kind of been Americanized, and, and if you go over there to Israel and you talk to, like, your guide on the bus, whatever, they'll say, I don't like your American TV. Okay, that's a bad accent for Jewish, but, but anyway, they'll, they're not happy because it's turned into kind of a Halloween thing where they dress up as anything, you know, Power Rangers and all this kind of stuff. But it used to be they would only dress up as this, okay? They celebrate this because the world has come up against you, and God will protect you. Verse 28, it says, These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family. And it has for 2,549 years now. In every province, in every city. All these days, Purim, should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. Chapter 10, it says, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire it's dist- to its distant shores, and to all the acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the book of annuals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank among Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by many of his fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. You know, it's kind of interesting here. He, Mordecai comes to power, but what stays the same? His personality. The power doesn't overtake him. He's still looking out for the welfare of the Jews. He's held in high esteem. In other words, people look up to him. That's a great thing. This story has really come alive for many of us. And I want to take just a couple of minutes, okay, and and we're here toward the end, but I want to take a couple of minutes to to talk about some of the major lessons of this story. First off, God is in control. Even when it doesn't look like he is in control, God is in control of our lives. There will be whole chapters of our lives where it's almost like God is not even mentioned, like the first five books of, of Esther, well, the whole you know, whole book of Esther, but the first five chapters, it's like God's presence, you know, you can't really see it, but he's still in control. Also, God can accomplish his will only using a couple of people. It doesn't take a majority of Christians for God to be able to work and change things. He can do it with one person. He can do it with two people. He can do it with a dozen people, but they have to be willing. God always can work with a minority. You have people fasting and praying for Esther here, saying, what is the next thing you want me to do? This is an exciting way to pray to the Lord. Lord, use me. I mean it. I I truly mean it. This is what Esther has to do. Esther took three days to go to the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? I'm willing. Use me here. What do you want me to do? Use me. I want you you to use me. You know, at the end of my life, at the end of your life, when we go to heaven, I want the Lord to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, we don't pray those prayers enough where we say, Lord, use me. Lord, I'm willing to be used. But when we do, nothing may happen for a little while. But then, for such a time as this happens, chapter 6 of our life just kind of takes off. You know, chapter 1 through 5, you're sitting there going, oh, when is this ever going to be over? And then chapter 6, boom, God says, I want to use you now. Maybe that's you sitting here. Maybe that's where, where God's going, okay, we've got through the first five chapters. Now, are you willing to be used? Come to me, fast and pray, come to me, and tell me you want to be used. I may use you. 
It's like the front of the line pass at Disneyland. Now, Randy and I were talking. I, I've been to Disney World, but now that I have a son, I'll have to go to Disneyland. I haven't ever been to Disneyland, but you know those front of line passes that you get now? You know, if you've gone lately, it's all of a sudden like, man, you, you, you just kind of blast through the whole line and you're up at front. This is, this is really cool. This is the problems and trials of our life sometimes. You know, and, and once the Holy Spirit gets involved, actually allows us to be involved. And when we pray like this, it's like, the, you know, fasten our seatbelt. This is an e-ticket ride. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, find somebody who has gray hair and go, what's an e-ticket ride? You don't have much gray hair, though. <laughs> Esther didn't volunteer to be in this pageant. Esther didn't volunteer. Mordecai did not volunteer to raise his brother's daughter. It just happened. That is called life. But the Lord allows it all to come together, as he often does when we follow him. And you say, well... That's just great, Pastor Allen, but my life hasn't really come together. And I say, well, maybe you're just in chapter 3 of your life. Wait until chapter 6. Because if you're willing to be used by the Lord, He's willing to use you. So let's pray, and then we'll talk about the homotossons real quick. Lord, I thank you for, for allowing this book to be in your word. Allowing this story to, to see all the ins and outs, and we really had a lot of fun with it, Lord, but let us not forget the lessons of this book, that you are in control of our lives. And all we need to do is recognize that. And so often, Lord, we go through life and we don't recognize you. And I pray that you stop us every now and then, and you ask us, what are you doing, Alan? What are you doing? Put your name in there. What are you doing? I want to use you, but you've got to be willing. Will you pray that prayer? Will you say, I'm willing, Lord? Because when you're willing, the Lord treats us like Esther and Mordecai. Lord, I pray that you treat us like Esther and Mordecai. You show us the path that you want us to go down. And you, you run ahead of us to prepare that path. It won't be easy, Lord, but we know that you're in control. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, even in those dark chapters of your life. When you think he's not there, he is. Because his face will never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Randy's going to come up. We're going to sing one last song real quick, I think, right? And then we have Haman Tossins that will be out there. Haman's ears. They represent Haman, who got on the gallows.